Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing. If you're still listening, you can't sit with us! <laughs> That's too loud. Everything's too loud. <laughs> oh, are we just carrying on? Yeah. We've powered through. Right, okay. So uh, I've already told Emma this story, but it fucked up. It's the week that you just had her story. So uh, we're just going to repeat this one. So I didn't have to do any research this week, which was lovely. So this is the story of Stefano Breezy. And um, he is Italian. You can probably tell from the name. He was born 26th of June, 1966. And the youngest of three children. Um, He found family life difficult because he was in Catholic country, Catholic family and homosexual so uh he was he didn't feel accepted for this um his father was a civil servant his mother worked in the nhs uh, but his uncle was also a priest so they were pretty rapey (laughs) possibly but also (laughs) i was gonna say catholic (laughs) Catholic, yeah hand in hand Uh, so he was been described as like a sensitive boy. Uh, he found it quite difficult in his childhood. So then he, first instance he got, he went off to university in Florence. Um, and he did a degree there. And then following his degree, nice. he worked as a computer programmer through his 20s, 30s, 40s. There's not a lot about it. Um, quite a good job. Uh, anything in IT is pretty well paid, isn't it? For sure. I just love that Lucy's talking so fast so that it can't say anything bad about Catholics. <laughs> <laughs> She's just powering through because she knows any chance I get, I'm like, and then the Catholics raped him. Because last time, Emma kept making inappropriate jokes. So oh, I think jokes are strong. <laughs> inappropriate comments. Comments. So, anyway powering through he was then uh, diagnosed with hiv and hepatitis c um so hiv is a virus uh, so i love that hepatitis c came second yeah. like, no one really cares about the hepatitis once like, you've just yeah. mentioned hiv it's like hepatitis c is curable that's like it? being like lucy i've got cancer 
and a really bad cold. <laughs> so I did. I mean, I did have a look at what these were in case you asked me. I any questions. Say, hepatitis C is probably really bad. It's an infect. It's a virus that can infect your liver and it can kill you, but if if you don't treat it, but it can be cured, which is why I think people are like, "Ick, hepatitis C." Right, but like, you can just cure it. But you you need to get you need to know you've got it to, and you need to cure it pretty quickly. I think. Got it. Um, and that's passed on through contact through like the blood and stuff. So I think I've seen on TV where you know, if someone cough blood on a character in something and then they have to do a test for hepatitis C and, and stuff like that. And then the same with, obviously, HIV is uh, uh, through fluids um, and that damages the cells in your immune system and weakens you. And then usually um, the reason why it's fatal is something else kills you because your immune system's been weakened. Uh, but people generally do now have a normal lifespan and actually when he contracted it, um, his chances were pretty good. But he just felt like it was a death sentence. So he sort of yeah. lost a little bit of... Like, he didn't care quite as much. There's still so much myth surrounding HIV and AIDS, though, isn't there? Because that legacy of when it was a death sentence it still lingers, doesn't it? That's yeah. still what we remember about it. Yeah. Um. So... He, in 2012, uh, he was offered the chance of moving to London, luckily for this story, otherwise I won't be able to include it. And uh, so he he had a dream of sort of living abroad. So, I mean, I guess London is abroad, not to us. Like, eh, London. That'll do. Um, but so he was given a 70 grand a year job. They helped <laughs> him get like a house. It was pretty good. So he worked for Morgan Stanley, which is an investment bank. Oh, so he's doing like, he's really doing London. Yeah. Tom and I are talking about going over Christmas and we were both like, how long do we want to stay in London for? And we both agreed that two nights was the maximum we could stomach London for. <laughs> yeah. That's it. You're not getting any more out of us. Pretty much. Um, so he worked there for three years. So he surpassed your deadline. Um, <laughs> by, by 902 two years. <laughs> something nice. Yeah. Um, but he began to have problems with drug use and addiction. So uh, he tried GHB, he took ketamine, he had crystal meth as well. He started to experience elements of psychosis, um, which he sort of pinned on his religious upbringing, the fact that he had sort of this unfinished business of, I'm gay, I'm supposed to be Catholic, and trying to deal with that. So Just all of that, like, real Catholic hell imagery is swimming around different parts of his brain, just waiting for the drugs to release it. Yeah. You're gonna, he's gonna be tripping some pretty horrid stuff. Yeah. So it's like, almost like he was predisposed to Catholicism, (laughs) I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So... Also, he had quite a high, I guess we would say a high risk lifestyle. He was hosting and taking part in a lot of chemsex parties and using Grindr to find people to come to these. Um, so I I can't remember yeah, much I think of what I this story you before, about chemsex. But all I know about chemsex is that now whenever you go to the sexual health clinic, they've started, I mean, it's been a, a while. My career, my sexual career has spanned over a decade now it's getting big so now they ask you like they always say like oh have you had sex with anyone who's lived outside of England have you done this and now they ask have you had chem sex and I always say no but I'm secretly a little bit like uh, I don't know what it is Maybe. um so well I'm gonna is it just, you. is it just having sex while you've 
taking drugs. It's yeah, it's using certain drugs to increase the pleasure of sex. So oh, so not just like I had sex when I was high. No. So in particular, it's GHB, which is a form of liquid ecstasy. Yeah. And maybe on um, some lists that I shouldn't be then. <laughs> but other things that I, I sort of had a look at chemsex parties and other things that can be done. And I'm no way implying that everyone who has Lucy's drugs how has to sex. guide to chemsex <laughs> yeah. right now. But there, there are instances where there things like um, there'll be like four shot glasses and one of them has got uh, high levels of like a, a drug in that will sort of put you into what they call a G sleep, which is where you're sort of unconscious and that people will shot these and, and one person will have that, that drug and then the others will have sex with that unconscious person. Um, so a rape party. Sort of, yeah. So like high risk. And he hosted these parties, but I, I don't know what happened there. And, um, <laughs> i wasn't just, there we should just tag that onto every show well i don't really know what <laughs> happened there so uh, i'm just trying not to offend anyone uh but yeah i th- i think like i've yet to watch a documentary about chemsex so i think that, yeah that's I what i need to do that's what we need um so it isn't known whether he told his partners that he had hiv but i know some of the apps do ask people to be upfront about their sort of status but also i think the police because of some of the behaviors that are happening at sort of chemsex parties um and people sort of saying yes to things and then it is difficult because then people don't report things if things do go wrong or like say if you were raped at a party i don't know if you'd necessarily go to the police because the use of these drugs is illegal oh i see what you're saying so you can't report it without incriminating yourself in a different way so basically there's not a lot of information about it so he lost his job because he was taking so many drugs he just he couldn't hold on to it um and he began to use grinder pretty much obsessively like that was his that's what he did every day and he had a lot of sexual partners and then he met uh gordon semple now gordon was a respectable police officer he had a wife and he had children but he lived a bit of a double life so he was using grinder and going to um meet sexual part- partners off of grinder but he also was in a 25 year homosexual relationship with a partner as well so he's got wife and kids long-term sort of affair with this man and then he's also sleeping around behind everyone's back he's really managing his time well he's got a lot of time for a policeman yeah exactly he's working smarter not harder (laughs) yeah how do you how do you cram that in to sustain a 25 year affair like he's really being attentive yeah i don't know how he's doing it um, so he would use search features to specify what he liked and he said that he liked to be dominated by others um, which again is a bit of a risk when you're doing it with strangers I would never advocate that's somewhat. such a policeman thing isn't it yeah like such a kink to be like oh I'm in charge on the streets and then when they're not in, in the, the bedroom shoes. they want to be dominated Gordon and Breezy arranged to meet at Breezy's flat um, in London with the intention of meeting other men for a sex party so basically they were going to meet up and then together they were going to message other people and invite them round um, so at one point a man arrived at the flat but when Breezy answered he said oh we're too busy go away we've changed our minds so Breezy then murdered Gordon what? by strangling 
Um, it's unlikely it's pre-planned because he, they, they'd gone there and then they'd started messaging other men. And it's almost like, what if you were... And inviting them around and telling them the address. So if you were going to kill someone, you're not going to be like, everyone come watch. I'm confused. So Semple and Breezy hooked up. Yeah. But they didn't... They met up... Red- but didn't want to get her, get to to, to invite other men and have like an orgy. Oh, okay. But then, and then just one day he was like, "Oh, I'm bored of this." The the, the first time that they met. Oh. So like know. they met up, message really man for a, message man for an orgy, but then he started killing him. Uh, I hate to say sex game gone wrong. This is what I wrote because it's, it's misused so often. Because I put unlikely to be a sex game gone wrong. Is it unlikely though? Because it makes no sense why he would invite people over and kill him in the meantime. Yeah, but strangling someone is hard. Like you know when it's gone too far, surely. So, and I think his response after as well suggest i don't know but he began to um dismember gordon's body okay he probably tried to kill him on purpose yeah so he's in the house with he doesn't so what do you think he just didn't answer the door to any of these other people that were coming around he answered the door to one and just said uh, can you just go <laughs> i'm just i don't know just busy murdering skinning a deer yeah so gordon is reported missing by his um uh homosexual partner called gary meeks um, which suggests he was probably frequently staying with him and away from his wife. And yeah, if he was the one to message first, yeah, yeah. to message first, like you can text the police. But he didn't know about all this grinder stuff. Like, he had no idea either. So they please start looking for him, but they don't. None of them know about this grinder stuff. So they don't know to look on grinder. They don't know about his account. So they're just sort of trying to find leads. So breezy and um, reportedly influenced by Breaking Bad. Do you know what I'm going to say? He tries. To melt the body. To melt the body in a bath. I mean, I know scientifically it's not actually melting. It's, what, like corroding a body. Yeah. Um, so before this, however, he had attempted to eat parts of the body. And there's evidence of that oh by God. bite marks on ribs and DNA on some chopsticks that were found in his flat. He was just like, look, I'm only going to be in this situation once in my life. Wow. I'm just going to try the whole gamut. Yeah. He got out the blender, the cooking pot. DNA was found in the oven. Like, he was like, how many ways can I try and eat this body? Yeah. And he tried all of them. So, he remained in the flat with the body for four days. And then um, he walked to a decorating shop and bought plastic buckets and cleaning supplies, acid and metal sheets. And this is when he was going to attempt to get rid of the body. It's so weird. Like, what do you think about our souls? Do you think we have some? Oh, bloody hell. What a time, Emma. I just really thought, like, he's just killed this person. Where is Mr. Semple at this point? When he's cutting up the body and some of it's in the oven and some of it's here, where is he? Well, it depends on what you believe, but I think this is a murder podcast, not a uh, afterlife podcast. I think he's just gone. Yeah, sorry. I just had an epiphany <laughs> after two years of talking about death. <laughs> so, uh, if you look online on YouTube you can and you type in his name, you can see CCTV footage of um, him in a department store and he gets one of this big bucket. He's obviously trying to 
get ready to use it to get rid of the body and he puts it over his head as if to sort of see testing would, it for yeah, size would a human head fit in this just asking an assistant right i'm gonna clamber in this one can you put the lid on it please <laughs> yeah right if i put my leg in this one and my arm in this one look can we map me out so at his flat breezy used his bathtub and containers to attempt to dispose of the body uh he wasn't aware that if you're going to do that you actually have to heat the acid to 300 degrees centigrade they did not do that in breaking no but it didn't work in breaking bad as well so obviously he wasn't doing that um so it didn't work it sort of just turned into gloop so he's caught when his neighbors can smell it and they they've got you know this disgusting smell wafting around it's only in a flat it's not like in a detached house and so they phoned the police but what they did that was quite nice was to drop around and say um stefano we've uh we've phoned the police because there's a weird smell uh we just wanted to let you know that they're on their way and he was really calm and and sort of said yeah sorry I, you know i've been cooking for a friend but now i understand and that's such an odd thing to do because if you're calling the police because of a weird smell what do you suspect that is you're not calling the police because you're like their dinner is offending me. You're calling police because you think there's something to do with death, aren't you? Like, what, <laughs> yeah. other, what other crimes could it be when there's a bad smell? I so, know. unless they thought it was someone else in the building, like a super nice neighbour, he's like, I, I'm just gonna give him a chance to clear the body. Like, if you could get rid of the smell, then we're, we're all happy. I don't know. Oh, so weird. Really weird. So when police arrive, they find him in his pink wife fronts uh, with a bath of human remains, loads of acid, black bin bags with body parts in. Uh, and he's remarkably calm. So he's arrested for murder, um, but he denies this. And he says the death was a sex game gone wrong. Um, and he said that it was a, because they used a collar. And however, he did later admit to the murder. Oh, so he did say it was murder. yeah. Um, but he's and he said that the man that had knocked on the door had actually sort of been in the middle of him murdering. Uh, so he had opportunity to stop killing yeah. him, and then was like, "No, I really want to do this." Yeah. So he got a life sentence for murder. Um, he also got an extra sentence for obstructing a coroner by attempting to destroy a body. So I get, yeah, I guess that's illegal. You can't just melt bodies, can you? Um, so he was given at least 24 years. However, he only served three months of this because he hanged himself um, in his cell. He'd actually been on suicide watch at the time when a ligature had been found in his cell. Uh, but he, he was taken off suicide watch because he told them that he wasn't suicidal, but he'd been bored. So he'd just been making some ligatures just to pass the time. Um, but yeah, so he hanged himself in the end. And that's it. Mm. I wish that I could say, because it's the second time I've heard it, I'd prepared some reflective statement, but I didn't remember it. <laughs> uh, I mean, he killed a policeman. That's sort of, in the law, that's the worst thing you could do, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know about it's worse to kill them than another person. No, I don't think it is. There you go. That was the reflective statement. (laughs) Say hello to a new era of mental health care. 
Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Okay, so I'm going to be telling you the story of murder at the Villa Madeira. Oh, I love Madeira cake. <laughs> is that a place in... It is a place. I watched a Travel Man episode on it where they, like, sledged down the streets. It was... It's also super expensive, according to Richard Iwado. Oh. So I'm not going to visit. Um, <laughs> but this story comes from a book called Crimes of Passion. And, okay, obviously I like to give the reference, but it's produced by Treasure Press originally produced by a company called Verdict Press, I can find no individual authors. And I looked for a really long time before I gave up. So, SARS. It's an old book. Um, so, you can look it up. Crimes of Passion, <laughs> Verdict Press. So, the story begins in 1935, 
with Francis Mawson Rattenbury, who was by now retired from his profession as an architect and at 66 years old was settling into his retirement by spending time at home with his wife and children in their seaside home, the Villa Madeira in Bournemouth, which sounds lovely. I mean, it sounds boring, but... <laughs> yeah, okay, <laughs> fine. It's not chemsex. There's none of that's <laughs> happening. Um, so... Though Mr. Rattenbury was known to love his whiskey and he would spend most evenings drinking himself into a stupor. So he thought it was boring too, I imagine. <laughs> yeah. Um, should he have been sober, it seems it wouldn't have made much difference to his wife Alma and their romantic relationship because they had had separate bedrooms on separate floors and they were just rubbing along pretty separately. Now, Mrs. Alma Rattenbury was an unlikely wife for Francis. There was an age gap between them of nearly 30 years. Um, That's pretty big. It's pretty big. I mean, I don't want to judge, but that's decidedly big. And the pair had met in Canada, where Francis had made his career, despite being a native Yorkshireman. Like, who would ever want to leave? (laughs) Um, But Alma had been born in Canada. And so Mr. Rattenbury was 56 years old at the time they met and was married when he was at an event at the Empress Hotel in Victoria in 1923 and he met Alma Pakenham, as she was called. So she was 26. Yeah, she was still in her 20s, um, but she was already a war widow and a divorcee. Whoa. She like rattled through them. Um, but she was attractive, she was young, um, she was a very passionate and sentimental artist. Um, she used the stage name Lausanne to write songs and play the piano. And she was described as having a creative personality and impulsiveness and temper all thrown in. Um, so very like, yeah, very like F. Scott Fitzgerald heroine, I think. So the pair began to have an affair, which soon became public knowledge and absolutely ruined Rattenbury's reputation. So he was no longer welcome in polite Victoria society. Wow. I mean, what has a 26-year-old got in common with a 56-year-old, though? Love of money? Yeah. I mean, all your frames of reference would be different. I know. Like, would you remember the Teletubbies? No. <laughs> I was 45. <laughs> Weird. So, um... He had to get a hasty divorce from his wife and quickly married Alma. I think she might have discovered she was pregnant. It's not quite clear, but they did have a son together. Um, And the couple moved to England and to Bournemouth. So by 1934, they were living with Alma's 13-year-old son, Christopher, from her previous relationship, their own six-year-old son, John, and a housekeeper slash Alma's companion, Irene Riggs. And at this point, the Rattenburys took out an ad in the Bournemouth Echo for a hired hand, which read, Willing lad wanted, aged 14 to 18, for housework. Scout training preferred. (laughs) Well, like the Boy Scouts. Yeah. I mean, they're always prepared. That is true. But what other skill set do they particularly want this boy to have campfire it as a hired hand in the home like we want you to make campfires yeah we want you to have a neat bed i mean like maybe that's the thing maybe they think they'll be really neat 
Yeah, but scout training. If it, it says for housework, it can't literally be for housework because why would you pick a teenage boy? Yeah. Yeah, the, like that. Famously, they're like the least tidy age plus gender. And you have one. You've got a 13 year old boy <laughs> kicking around. Maybe they thought it would be a weird little friend. <laughs> we'll get you a very neat friend. <laughs> Maybe it'll rub off on you. Um, so the successful applicant for this post was 17-year-old George Stoner. He wasn't a particularly bright boy. He was barely able to read and write. Um, but he had part-time work at a garage and he was willing to work hard in a second job so that he could build a life and eventually move out of the home he shared with his grandparents. Cute. Yeah. See, he was quite like attractive in like a just a young person kind of way. Like, no. <laughs> um, so he began working for the family as a handyman and a chauffeur, particularly. But it wasn't long at all before George Stoner and Mrs. Alma Rattenbury were engaged in a sexual affair. Which, maybe that's the scout training. Maybe it's, like, not tying or something. Because <laughs> you have to learn, like, which ones you can pull to release, which ones just pull to get tighter. Yeah, maybe she's a bit of BDSM. Possibly. Um, I think it was obvious to everyone in the house what was going on. So Francis Rattenbury continued to spend his evenings drinking. Um, So he sort of like didn't really care what was happening or he was in an agreement that his wife could take a sexual partner outside of the marriage. He he was just like like indifferent to it, I think. Yeah. it's thought that the person who was most altered by this arrangement was George Stoner. He began to sort of see himself as a person of standing and importance within the household. And so then he would be really demanding and have sulks and tantrums if he didn't get his way. Because he... What, the scout boy? Yeah. What? He thought he was on par with like the man of the household because he was Ooh. shagging the wife. So... Yeah, he just would like, he wouldn't, he would be able to try and be controlling, just very immature. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he would really kick off if he thought he wasn't getting the respect or attention that he deserved from people in the household. <laughs> it just seems like, so uh, he's probably getting paid a pittance. They're like, no, no, here's your wages, just run along now. He's like, where's my respect? I don't know, it just seems yeah. really strange. It's obviously just messed with him. Yeah. So by March of 1935, Stoner had been working for the family for five and a half months and he'd lost all sense of discretion about the affair. He would just simply stroll around, head into Alma's bedroom every night. Yeah, he didn't care whether Mr. Rattenbury or Irene Riggs saw him. And it kind of seemed like, his immaturity aside, it just seemed like all the adults had just this silent understanding that was like, this is how it's going to work for PCA. Like, kind of polyamorous, I guess. Like, yeah. it works for people. Um, on the 19th of March, Alma asked her husband for £250 so she could take a mini break to London. Now, I looked up how much that would be today, and that's around twelve to £6,000. Whoa! I mean, London's expensive, but Jesus... Yeah, just a mini for a breaks mini like break. a weekend. And I've seen a picture of the Villa Madeira and it looks like a pretty standard 30s family home. It doesn't look like a mansion. It looks yeah. like my parents' house or something. Like I wouldn't have thought it'd be just someone who was chucking 12 grand around on their pension. It's not like they've even got a fly there, is it? 
to London. Yeah. No, it's like a couple of hours. Maybe they got a taxi. Just clock up pretty He's quick. the chauffeur. He can oh, drive yeah. them anywhere. Um, so Alma took George Stoner to London for this mini break. So checking in as siblings, Alma and George spent four nights at the Kensington Palace Hotel. And they spent their days going about town. Alma was buying expensive clothes for George and styling him as a gentleman. She bought him everything from suits to socks to ties. She bought him pyjamas, got him absolutely everything he could want. That's basically what the money was for. She even bought a diamond ring with her money and then gave it to Stoner so that he could give it to her as a gift. Oh, it's weird. It's like pretending... Yeah. They're playing families, isn't it? Yeah, it's all that pretense, like, boosting his ego, like, you can give me this diamond ring. And he's doing fuck all. She bought it herself. Um, but this did inflate Stoner's ego massively. He'd already begun to put on airs and graces, and now he felt that his position as a kept man was something to really boast about. He thought it was something special at this point. And he's still a child, basically. Yeah. Um, so when they returned home to Bournemouth... It's thought that he was sort of brought back to reality with a bit of a bump and he found that quite unsettling. So Francis Rattenbury, they came home and he seemed very down and melancholy when they arrived back. I mean, he'd been on his own and he's used to drinking. So Alma suggested that they take a trip away so that they could stay with friends and hopefully it would lift his spirits. Um... Of course, it was going to be fine because Stoner can just drive them to Bridport where they needed to be. But George Stoner was absolutely outraged that he'd come back and was now being treated as a simple servant. He was a gentleman. How dare she just be like, yeah, sure, he'll drive me and you on a holiday. He needs to pipe down. He does. So, but he flew into a temper when Alma told him of the plan and he threatened to kill her if she went with her husband. He was convinced that uh, Mr. and Mrs. Rattenbury would be sharing a bedroom whilst they were away. And this jealousy just began to take deep root. He started accusing Alma of sleeping with her husband in the home. (laughs) I accuse you of sleeping with your husband. I mean, they hadn't been, they had, so I guess for him, he thought they were exclusive, even though she can do what she wants. With your husband. It just seems so ludicrous. And he was getting really suspicious every time that he knew that they were in a room with a closed door he was like i know what's happening why would you close the door unless it's secret but he's in that weird position of still being a servant so he can't just walk into rooms like yeah so i think i think what he needs is a gal pal to sort of be like listen this is weird and you like do you like it's never gonna end up good for you they're not gonna separate you've got to move on yeah, you're never going to have the standing you want in this family. Yeah. You're not going to be daddy. Um, so I think although Alma was younger than her husband, she was now in her late 30s. It was her third marriage. She wasn't immature and deluded. Like She knew what she wanted from this relationship. She knew what she wanted from her husband. She knew what she wanted from him. And I think she was able to compartmentalise everything. So... She seemed to still care for her husband. Like, she genuinely didn't want him to be sad. She wanted to take him away. She didn't want to break up with her husband. It was it was more, I think, how a, more of a polyamorous relationship that they just had. She cared for both of them. 
So despite her infidelity, she did put her foot down with Stoner and was like, no, I'm not going to give in to this. I'm going to take him away. This is what he needs. This is what's happening. But Stoner, however, was just as determined to put a stop to it. So on the 24th of March, 1935, Stoner went to visit his grandparents and asked if he could borrow a wooden mallet saying that he needed to hit some tent pegs or something. And then at 10.30 that night, Irene Riggs, the companion housekeeper lady, she was heading to the toilet before bed and she saw Stoner in his pyjamas leaning over the banister and listening closely to what was happening downstairs. Um, all that you could hear was that Francis Rattenbury had was snoring. He'd obviously fallen asleep in his chair after drinking whiskey. So she's like, are you all right? Do you need anything? Yeah. Um, and he was like, no, it's fine. I'm just checking to see that like the lights are off and everything. And so she went into Alma's bedroom to have a little girly chat as they normally did before bed. So this was pretty much just like I say, it's their routine. Like this affair is just part of their family life. Yeah. So she goes in for a chat with Alma. When she's done, she goes back to her room and George comes into Alma's bed. And she says that he looked agitated immediately. So then they played that awful game where she's like, oh, what's the matter? And he's like, nothing. And she's like, no, I know something's wrong. And he's like, nothing. And she's like, go and tell me. No, I don't want to. You know the thing. Yeah. Um, and then George Stoner eventually said that he'd hurt Mr. Rattenbury by hitting him over the head with a mallet. Oh, we then, broke pretty quick then. Yeah. Hid the weapon outside. He just blurted it out. Yeah. Alma then said, once she hit, once he told this, she could hear that there were groans coming from downstairs. So a race to see what had happened. When she got there, Mr. Rattenbury was still in his chair. His head was a bloody mess from where it was obvious he'd been hit from behind. So Alma tried to rouse him. I mean, she could hear him. He was still alive. She was taking his hand. She was shaking him. And as she moved around the little table to get closer to him, she stood on his dislodged false teeth. And that sort of... I guess that sensory trigger just like sent her into complete hysteria of realising what had happened. Plus it's gross. Horrid. I fucking hate false teeth. Like Luke's Luke's mother has false teeth and every time she's staying I forget and they're like on the like on the bathroom mirror just staring at me. Because it's a body part, isn't it? Fucking hell! They have the gums and everything. Jesus. Um, So then, hearing screams, Irene Riggs ran down to find that Alma was downing whiskey to steady herself and just not really coherent. So Irene called for the doctor, who arrived and called for a surgeon because he was like, he's still alive, we can help him, we can sort this out. So then Alma just became absolute, like I said, just incoherent. She was talking about suicide and that he was t- he was saying that he was reading a book and a character wanted to commit suicide and he felt sorry for him and this must have been it. Like he's killed himself, he's done it. Trying to find the book that he'd been reading. Like she was just going off around the room and tangents. Um, Mr. Rattenbury was then removed by an ambulance while Alma Rattenbury stayed at home. At 2am, the police arrived to find her hysteric. She was in shock. She'd been drinking more whiskey. Um, She was talking and moving nonstop. She was putting records on really loud. She even tried to 
forced one of the policemen to kiss her. What? She was just... Yeah, she was... Completely dissociating. She didn't have any clue what was happening. But even though she was clearly unhinged, the police still took several statements from her because she was saying, I've done it, it's my fault, and then tried to change her mind and said, no, I have a lover. No, it was his suicide. Uh, She tried to bribe the officers. Um, She was a hot mess. All over the place. She was like Blanche Duboiring all over the place. Yes, exactly (laughs) that. Um... And then 3.40 a.m., the doctor, and at this time it would be like family doctors, they knew them well, because it was private and everything. So the doctor returned and he was absolutely furious with the officers for questioning her under caution when she was clearly not in a fit state. He gave her a dose of morphine to sedate her, but less than five hours later, so around four hours later, she was still clearly drugged. The police arrested her and charged her with the attempted murder of her husband. And not questioned her again. And she's just on, now she's on morphine and alcohol and shock. Yeah. Four days later, Francis Rattenbury had been unconscious this entire time. And finally he died from his injuries. Shit. So he's hit in the head and it took four days to die yeah. i guess that's what a bleed on the brain maybe yeah yeah um george stoner was just still living in their house oh, fuck. and saying nothing um i think he i guess he was hoping that maybe he'd be alive and he wouldn't have to do anything yeah but once he heard that he was dead he Guilt took over, and he again blurted out a confession to Irene Riggs. I mean, God, people are blurting left, right, and center all over the story. Yeah, it's, there's a lot of just, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, so he said to her, Look, I did it. I've got to save her. So I'm going to go to bed and I'll go to the police station and give myself up in the morning. So can you just be a dear and wake me up early? Because I don't want to oversleep. Um, Irene, thankfully, didn't put anything to chance. She phoned the police and Stoner was arrested pretty much straight away and charged with the murder. That's so teenage, isn't it? I'll do it in the morning. Yeah, I love that he thought he might oversleep. Like, It's not weighing on his conscience that heavily that he's (laughs) like, yeah, I could probably lie in. So Alma, however, she was convinced that if he kept putting forth his story that he would be sentenced to death and that she could save him from the death penalty if she kept to her story because it would sort of just confuse everyone. I think or that she was just willing to take the fall for George. And she kept up this story that she'd sort of done it right up until the last minute when her lawyers convinced her that, look, if you say you did it and he's saying you did it, you're just both going to die. You're not going to save him by saying this. So Stoner, in turn, he was trying to protect her. He wasn't going to give evidence at his own trial because they knew that the prosecution would try and question him and make it seem like Alma was in on it and say, well, she must have known, he must have talked about it. So he was not going to be questioned. So he would almost definitely hang. So as much as they were, he was immature and it was a sexual thing, like they clearly had a lot of feeling for each other. May 27th, 1935. The pair stood trial jointly accused of the murder of Francis Rattenbury. Both pleaded not guilty. 
Alma stood firm despite fierce questioning that after the shock of finding her husband with his head caved in, she remembered absolutely nothing. She didn't remember the doctor coming. She didn't remember confessing to the police. She didn't remember being arrested. She remembered nothing. And days and hours of questioning, they were saying, well, do you remember this? And she was just like, no, none of it. Which I think is hardly surprising considering that she'd been... Yeah, the, state of shock. Had, yeah, exactly. Shock alone could do it. Never mind shock and whiskey and morphine. Yeah. So Stoner, I was surprised that he'd gone for not guilty, but his defense was that he said he was a drug addict and that he was regularly using cocaine and that it was only because he was under the influence of drugs that he'd attacked Francis Rattenbury and he hadn't meant to kill him. He was just... So the night before the trial verdict, Alma wrote several letters from her cell and which she stated her intentions following the outcome of the trial. So in one of them, she said, quote, I have quite made up my mind to finish things. Should Oh, she's Canadian, isn't she? Yeah. Quote, oh, Canadian's just American, right? <laughs> no. Sorry to all our... Uh, I've cried. Who am I apologising to you? Canadians are American. Oh, she can be English now. <laughs> Great. I've quite... A boot. Just put a boot in there. <laughs> I've quite made up my mind to finish things should Stoner hang. And then in another one, she said, it has been pointed out to me all too vividly that I cannot help him. That is my death sentence. So, May 31st of 1935, the verdict came back. Alma was found not guilty. George Stoner was found guilty and he was sentenced to death by hanging. She was nothing but a woman of her word. And three days later, Alma took a train to Hampshire and sat by a riverbank in New Milton. She put laid her fur coat on the grass next to her, made sure her handbag was there neatly. And then a man on the opposite side of the bank witnessed her take out a knife and stab herself in the chest six times before sinking into the water. Fuck. Out of all the ways to kill yourself, to stab yourself in the chest. Imagine fucking watching that. I mean, she was a broken woman. There's pictures of her during the trial, and she looks like she could be in her 60s, like all hunched and like drawn. Like She really felt it. Jump off a bridge, though, right? (laughs) She must have been a good swimmer. (laughs) So, in a sad... I mean, the reason she'd done it is because she thought George was going to die. But in a little sad twist... (gasps) Romeo and Julia. A few weeks later, George Stoner's death sentence had actually changed to just life imprisonment. Oh, God. So she hadn't even needed to do it. That was really sad. I mean, like, it's sad that the husband died as well, though. It's Uh, just sad for everybody. I think that's a lesson to all of us why we shouldn't have sex with 17-year-olds. Yeah. That's that's the moral of that story. Yeah. Um, I'm going to put on the end of this episode uh, a clip of Alma playing the piano to one of her own compositions. So you can see here how... 
her musical skills. Oh, nice. That's something new. Yeah, there you go. Um, thank you for listening. Uh, if you would like to become a patron of the podcast, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash slaughter the podcast. If you would like to tweet us, then do at slaughter the pod. You can join our Facebook group. You can also buy t shirts on thread something threadless threadless you've been saying it for two years spreadshirt we've not said it in a while that's true uh but also the links are on the uh the facebook it's coming up to christmas buy t-shirts for everyone yeah there's other shit on there as well buy anything buy a mouse mat a mug a mouse mat can you not buy mouse mats anymore i think i I said no to mouse mat no one needs a mouse mat okay um uh yeah and uh, just tell your friends keep listening and uh, we'll try to be funnier next week Bye. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.